So Nathan. Yes. What do you call a person that's upset because they don't have any bread? Upset. Okay. This is a dad joke. They're upset because they don't have any bread. Um, I don't know. What do you call someone who's upset? Lack, toast, intolerance. Oh, my goodness. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's a dad joke. That's a good one. David, congratulations. You're ready to be a dad now. I'm just sad that your baby won't won't be able to understand that until he's like, you know, older. (laughs) Because that's a good one. Keep that one. I'll keep it in my back pocket. So bad. Lactose intolerant. Welcome to Mistakes Dads Make. I'm Nathan Hart. And I'm David Borden. And this is a podcast with honest conversations about fatherhood, including mistakes that dads make. And how to redeem them. We're glad you've joined us. Uh, Well, welcome, friends. We're so glad you're here for episode two of Mistakes That Dads Make. And uh, we are thankful and grateful for those 10,000 listeners that have joined us today. Welcome, welcome. Nancy and Rachel. Um, (laughs) But um, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we're so excited for the topics we're going to cover today, including at the end of our episode, we're going to actually interview my dad, which is kind of scary. Can't wait. He's going to find out the dark secrets. I'm going to, I just ask him, you know, what was it like to raise David? (laughs) Ready. I, I know you as an adult, but I want to hear his perspective on what kind of a brat oh, you were in middle school. <laughs> I, actually, you know what? I just realized I have to be really careful because we're going to interview my dad oh, yeah. someday. So I, I should be wait. really nice to I'm your definitely dad. definitely going to get you oh, back boy. on that one. Oh boy. I'll be careful. <laughs> well, before we get into that interview, uh, we have a little catch up from our last episode. We want to mm-hmm. cover a few things. Uh, we had some listener feedback yep. about our section on tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it'd be good for us to address that a little bit because, you know, we did hear from people who, uh, you know, they enjoyed the first episode, but they said, you know, one of my big takeaways was that you guys are judging me for my tattoos, you know, because David's tattoo that he called a mistake in episode one, David's tattoo is in the shape of a cross. So, you know, it was like redeemable, but I have tattoos that aren't in the shape of a cross. And now every time I hang out with you guys, I know that you look at me, you look at my body and you think, look at those mistakes, right? So just try to address that for us, David. Is that true? Are you looking at people with tattoos, judging them? That's a great question. Yeah. And I'm glad that we're covering this now. Um, So when I said my tattoo was a mistake, I was saying that in reference to my relationship with my parents, Mm -hmm. because they had told me, don't get a tattoo, don't get a tattoo, don't get a tattoo. And so me getting a tattoo was an act of open rebellion against my parents. Okay. I wasn't really thinking about anything religious Mm -hmm. or anything scriptural when I did it. Um, I wasn't thinking about the book of Leviticus and the law that talks a little bit about marking your body. I wasn't thinking about any of that. Right. And really the mistake is is the fact that it was open rebellion. Right. That's the mistake. Okay, so in the context of, you know, you becoming a dad soon and when your kid notices it, you the reason you were wanting to get it removed was you didn't want him to be like, you know, oh yeah, I can do whatever I want just like my dad did whatever he wants. That was more the issue than actually having a tattoo. Yeah, I didn't want to depict that this act of rebellion was okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to act like it was uh, something I would bless or Got something it. I thought was good or beneficial. That being said, I think in terms of tattoos and the Christian life, they're really neutral, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. there are Christians that are covered in tattoos, Christians that I know that are covered in tattoos that are probably 
much more devout than I am, to mm. be honest, much closer to Jesus. Mm. So I don't think tattoos are going to break your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what I meant in our last episode, but I'm glad you asked about it. You know, I once heard somebody say they're aware that the Bible has some verses in the Old Testament, you know, that like clearly seem to indicate that God doesn't love the idea of us getting tattoos. I think that's in Leviticus and stuff like that. But but also in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, you know, he's riding that white horse and he's got all these, you know, crazy descriptions about him. One of which says that words are written on his thigh mm-hmm. and the words say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, you know, obviously it's a metaphor, but I've heard people say, you know, Jesus has tattoo on his thigh. <laughs> yeah. Therefore I can have a tattoo. But no, that's good. That's helpful. I appreciate what you were saying. Like, you know, um, sometimes there are some Christians out there who like really want to fight that fight. You know, they want to say, there should be no tattoos. You should cut your hair a certain way. You got to follow all these rules. You have to conform, mm-hmm. you know, to this certain way of being. And that's really what makes you a good person. That's what makes you a Christian. And then they bring that into their own fatherhood as well, mm, right? Yeah. And their kids are trying to live under the expectations of all conforming to all those rules. You know, this is similar to a topic that I've heard you talk about a lot, which is what I've heard you say, fighting the good fight, which implies there might be some bad fights out there just some things that we don't need to be spending our energy battling. Can you say more about that? Yeah, not every fight is a good fight. Yeah, that's clear from Scripture. I think of just that verse that you referenced, how we are called to fight the good fight. And I think this verse puts some words on the innate desire in men and in fathers to really protect and have courage and care for their families. I think this is a God-given desire, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing that God can use. You're talking about the word fight, yes. right? Like the, the, we actually, that word fight isn't necessarily something to avoid and, oh no, don't fight, don't fight. You're saying God gave us that instinct as long as we're using it for the good fight. Exactly. Yeah. And so within that, I think even with like the tattoo issue, tattoos are not really fighting the good fight. They're not really that important. Mm-hmm. They're really minor in the grand scheme of things in the Christian life and in the life of a father, tattoos, I I would say are pretty minor. But what we tend to do as all people, we tend to elevate these minor things that Mm. don't really matter and we make them major things. Right. We tend to major on the minors. We say, I'm I'm willing to die on that hill. And this is what Christians are known for throughout our culture, right? That we're majoring on the minors, right? Christians Mm -hmm. are teetotalers or they're judgmental about... Uh, having tattoos or any other thing. Mm -hmm. And what we're known for is actually minor things, Mm -hmm. which is crazy because we're supposed to be known, right? And scripture says we're to be known for our love, you know, which is a a major facet of theology. Mm -hmm. And when I think of fighting the good fight and what we are called to fight for as Christians, I would say there are some major facets of theology, some major facets of scripture that we are called to fight for. Mm -hmm. And we know this from church history because those that have come before us have fought for these things and people have actually died for some of these things, Mm -hmm. these theological truths. And I would say these things that are important and worth fighting for, these are what the church calls dogma. Okay. These are the things that are necessary to believe to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. that Jesus is fully God and fully man that he's the only way to the Father, Mm -hmm. that the Trinity is operating in connection with one another, 
Uh, these are the major facets of Christianity. These are the same things that Roman Catholics, Orthodox Christians, and Protestants all believe. Mm -hmm, right? They all mm -hmm. accept these same things, and these things are worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, we have a subset of theology called doctrine. Okay. And doctrine, don't get me wrong, doctrines are very important, but they're not really worth dying for. Mm -hmm. They might be worth um, arguing about in, mm -hmm. in some sense, but in the end, uh, I think dogmas are the only things that are really worth fighting for mm -hmm. fully. Mm -hmm. um, and so doctrines, Nathan, you and I joke about doctrines mm -hmm. some because, believe it or not, listeners, Nathan and I are both Christians and we have different doctrines. Yeah. We have we a lot agree. of similar doctrines, but we yeah. have some that are different. Yeah. We have a few that are different. Yeah. And so uh, Nathan is uh, reformed in his theology, and I'm more Wesleyan, mm -hmm. right? Those would be doctrines. Yeah. You can be Wesleyan and be Christian. You can be Reformed and be Christian. They're not really that important in mm -hmm. the end. And then beyond doctrine is an even more minor category that I think most of the fights happen for, mm -hmm. and that's opinion. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, are we going to sing hymns or worship music yeah. on Sunday mornings? Yeah. What's the color of the carpet? Uh who did you vote for in the last election? Yeah. Did you get a vaccine or not get a vaccine? <laughs> oh, These are all opinions. They're not really that important. Yeah. Not worth dying and for. You're right, though. The, um, the People sort of skip step one and step two, the dogma and the doctrine, and they go right to opinion. And it does seem like there's a lot of people willing to die on those hills of opinion. And, uh, you know, in the context of fighting the good fight, that tertiary level thing, opinions, if you're arguing and, and actually willing to die for those opinions, then you're fighting the bad fight, right? You're fighting the wrong mm -hmm. fight. It's interesting. I was reflecting as you were talking about, you know, even that phrase we use, I'm willing to die on that hill. That's an interesting phrase. If you think about it, I know it's a war metaphor. You got like soldiers running up a hill trying to, you know, take the territory. And they're like, is that a hill worth taking? Am I willing to die on that hill from enemy fire? But that phrase, and I really reflect on it. I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus died on a hill. He died on Calvary. He died on that hill. He fought the best fight ever, right? He fought the fight of our salvation. That battle's already been won. And so we don't need to die on a hill, actually, because he died on it for us, you know? And then I think, okay, so but we are called to fight the good fight. So what is the good fight? You know, it is some of those things you were talking about. I think, too, like we're freed up now because he won that battle. Mm -hmm. We're freed up to fight the good fight. We can fight for the poor. We can mm -hmm. fight for the marginalized. We can fight for, you know, truth, capital T truth to mm -hmm. be communicated in a culture that uh, doesn't really believe in a objective truth anymore. We can fight for those things, right? But we don't have to, um, we certainly don't have to fight over opinion. I was picturing this too, just to extend the metaphor. Mm -hmm. When you got two soldiers running in the battle. You know, there they are, their uniforms are on, they're going to go take that territory. They're on mission. The one soldier doesn't turn to the other soldier when they're running towards enemy territory. He doesn't say, you know, I really don't like the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Opinions don't matter when you're, mm -hmm. when you're actually fighting the good fight, when mm -hmm. you're on mission together. That's a good reminder, you know, for us as a community. Yeah. When we are fighting the good fight, then those opinion battles go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Um, before we bring your dad on, anything else you want to get out of the way before? Um, I'm I'm just kind of eager to talk to him. Yeah, I'm looking Should forward. Should we call to it. him up? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Welcome, Doctor Borden, to Mistakes Dads Make. We're so glad you're here. I am very glad to be here. Certainly to be glad 
to be with you, Nathan, and with, of course, my son, David. (laughs) (laughs) The first most pressing question that we have for you, it's on my mind, and I'm guessing it's on the mind of listeners, is tell us a little bit what it was like to raise David as a son. We know him as an adult. He's this wonderful guy that we love being around. But what was he like, you know, when he was like a bratty middle schooler, (laughs) for example? What was it like to raise David? Well, how can I answer that question? We have three children, and uh, my oldest uh, is a boy, and then the middle is a girl, and David is the youngest. And quite honestly, um, my wife and I used to talk about our three kids. Kids temperamentally are so different. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used to say, you know, our oldest son came out of the womb saying, whatever you ask me to do, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Middle one came out saying, well, I might think about it. (laughs) And David said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Wow, good soldier. (laughs) David was a very, very good boy. Very good boy. I mean, he had his moments. I mean, he went through adolescence and had issues, but in terms of just parenting and taking direction, and uh, he was very, he was easy compared to what we were used to. I used to say he was God's gift to me in my old age. Wow. It's interesting you're saying it. Your older kids must have been really hard because um, in last week's episode, David talked about, you know, his his desire to rebel from Mm -hmm. the instruction that you and his mom gave. So Mm -hmm. what we're hearing from you, though, is that he liked to follow rules. Was there a change like when he was a teenager? You know, he really went through a period in adolescence in particular. Mm -hmm. He was really struggling, you know, and dealing with some hormones and testosterone and anger and mm-hmm. all, but once he got through high school and was in college, uh, he really seemed to kind of revert back and started to calm down. And of course, uh, in his time in college, he had some really great encounters with God and that mm-hmm. didn't really change, you know, change things back. But you know, there were some difficult years in the, in, you know, kind of the middle school, high school, mm-hmm. you know, years, but I don't remember them that hard. Mm. David, it, I think it was hard for each of our kids because particularly at crucial ages, we moved a lot mm. when, right at crucial ages. And I think that created uh, some issues for each of them in some ways, mostly for my middle child. She had, I think she was in three high schools, to be honest with you, which. Wow, that's hard. Yeah. Do you remember that, David, growing up, moving around a lot? Do you remember that feeling hard on you? Yeah. uh, Being the youngest and I think my temperament, I actually enjoyed moving in some ways and meeting new people. But I think it was more difficult for sure for Mm -hmm. my older siblings. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember Mm -hmm. moving a lot though. So do you remember anything like from when he was little that you could share that would maybe be embarrassing to him? We would love to hear a story. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for that. (laughs) Well, I remember, I can tell you so many stories. One story when we were in New York and the church was, you know, growing and I was pastoring and we had all these services and Sarah went home one day to uh, basically, I could tell you, I all these stories go through my mind. 
uh, anyway, she went home to prepare the meal. She brought the kids home. She was kind of like a single mom on Sundays. Mm. And she brought them to church. She brought them home, the whole nine yards. Well, anyway, I got home from church and, you know, we're like, where's David? <laughs> and David, uh, soon about the same time I got there, a police car pulls up and David. Oh, my gosh. Is sitting in the back seat. He, oh my I think gosh. Four years old at the time. He had wandered off, left the house, was out on a main road, and somehow the policeman was able to get out of him where he actually lived. Wow. <laughs> I remember it because he, he had a cowboy hat on. Boots, and he was all decked out in his cowboy attire. <laughs> <laughs> He was a rogue cowboy, urban oh, cowboy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Talk about scary. But anyway, he, he somehow he survived. That is an incredible story. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dad, you talked a little bit about um, having three kids, and all three of us went through periods of rebellion. And so what do you feel like you learned about fatherhood going through those experiences of rebellion with each child? Well, of course you learn the fact that as human beings, we're simply inadequate to really, to take the task on. It's bigger than what we can do. Um, we need power outside of ourselves to be able to raise our kids. Mm. And uh, that was true with each of our kids. Like I said, we went through this with each child to one degree or another. And uh, I think you, you can kind of remember some of the issues we dealt with. Uh, you know, it's not too, I don't think it's too strong to say traumatic things mm -hmm. we had to get through. Um, but we did make it. And so I certainly learned that this is something that I have to lean on God. And, and you know, the other thing I kind of learned too is that kids have a way of discovering your dysfunctions. Mm. You know, even if you don't know what they are, uh, child rearing wills, they will surface when you're. Can you say, say more about that? Like, can you give a specific example of what you mean? That's, I'm fascinated by this idea. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember. I do remember one class in particular uh, I was taking at our church. This is years ago. There was a class that I took called you and your child. It was just kind of a basic class and, you know, and, and the class was talking about the fact that you needed to love your children unconditionally and, you know, not be too hard on them. And, and then there was one chapter where the guy said, you know, if you've got unresolved stuff with parents, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leak into your parenting. It's definitely going to leak. And I was so convicted because I knew that I had some major unforgiveness toward my father. So I went home and I basically called him on the phone, admitted my resentments, uh, you know, asked his forgiveness and, you know, anyway, probably about uh, maybe a month later, I got my one and only letter from my father. Mm -hmm. I still have it somewhere. I, I was looking for it the other day, but basically 
he said, you know, I, I accept this and I just want you to know I love you. And he said, you know, maybe now we can break the curse on fathers and sons that's been on our family, which I wow. thought was insightful because there's been this issue between fathers and sons in the Borden family, at least for a long, long time. So that was a way, I, I think that was a kind of a turning point for me. You know, I, I just don't think you can't separate the person from their parenting. I mean, you, you bring your personhood with you. Mm-hmm. You may want to raise your child differently than what you were raised, but it doesn't always work out that way. You kind of have to, to go forward, you have to look back a little bit. So we did a wow. little bit of soul searching and that wasn't the only issue, but there were other issues I ended up tackling at the exact same time. Hmm. And I think that was a really helpful thing, you know, as far as moving forward with the kids. So um, for anybody listening to this, thank you for sharing all that, by the way. For anybody listening to this who might be, you know, raising kids of their own, um, what advice would you, like, I'm just imagining somebody listening to this, hearing you say what you just say, where you had to call up your dad, ask or give him forgiveness that you had been withholding from him. Mm-hmm. And that was a breakthrough in your relationship with your own father. And you're saying that that had an effect on not just that relationship, but also your relationship with your kids. Mm-hmm. Now, can you just maybe speak to the person who's hearing this concept for the first time? Are you coaching dads to just pick up the phone and deal with their own issues from their own households or exploring, maybe asking the question, what those issues might be. Can you give just some practical advice for anybody listening to this? Who's Mm -hmm. thinking about these things? Well, I, you know, I, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and just admit that, you know, our background, our upbringing has a bearing on who we are, you know, we're basically all of our experiences make up us, so to speak. Mm. Um, but it, it's even deeper than this, Nathan. Uh, David knows a little bit about this. But, um, you know, when I was a child, and I ended up going into therapy for this, but I was abused sexually. Mm. Which was a, was a, frankly, I had always thought my father's issues were my biggest problem, but it was actually more this other issue. Mm. Uh, and uh, we ended up going into family therapy to talk about some of this stuff. And it was just very, very interesting. Um, the guy that we talked to had been a, uh, actually he had worked as a psychiatrist at Wheaton College for many, many, many years, mostly with missionary kids and pastor's kids. And we kind of, he kind of, challenged me. He said, you know, what's going on with your kids is you're trying to make them perfect so that they don't have happened to them what happened to you. Mm. And um, in the process of that, you know, I was just too hard on them, you know, just mm. trying to get them and in some respects made them vulnerable, I guess. Uh, I think you know, that was a real, that was another big turning point for me, kind of seeing that a little bit, that maybe what I was doing, you know, had a lot to do with where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I just didn't want to see that happen to my kids. I was just terrified. Of course. Yeah. When you put it that way, it's, it's understandable why you would want 
to put that pressure on you. I mean, it it it, it um had a, the opposite result of what you were hoping for, but mm-hmm. you can see how you got there, right? Because mm-hmm. of that terrible traumatic experience that you lived through as a child. Well, it's it's interesting, you know, as my parenting, as the kids, I think it affected my oldest one the most. Then the middle child got a little bit of it, and then David. Sometimes, I, sometimes I wonder if it's if it's nature or nurture, you know, because that explains why David is who he is. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, his temperament made him a little easier to deal with. But I think I think I was quite a bit different mm-hmm. when he came along in terms of my own walk with God and that whole issue of emotional health. I was healthier when David was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. came along. So I, I think he kind of got the benefits of some of that work that I did during those years. I, you know, I kind of had an, have had an attitude about my own emotional issues that I will do whatever it takes to get better. Mm. I don't care what it is. If I have to go to therapy, I go to therapy. If I have to go to a 12-step career, I go to 12-step. I'll do whatever it takes because I want to be all God wants me to be. So that's, I think David kind of benefited from that somewhat, uh, you know, in his upbringing, you know. So anyway, but today I can see it a little more clearly. At the time, you know, we were, we were living it. So it wasn't as clear. But uh, I think today I can see it a little bit better. David, what's it like for you to have this conversation with your dad right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's healing, and I think it's helpful to hear his past, although I've heard a lot of it already. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's explained to me how parenting the different children was kind of like the tale of two parents, right? Like he parented me very different than my older siblings, and I know that. But even just hearing him explain why... I think is so healthy and helpful. You know, it it allows me to really understand my dad better. Mm -hmm. And I've actually never heard that story about him and his own dad. I didn't know that Mm. he had had called up his dad one day like Mm. that and his dad had sent him that letter. I didn't know any of that. Mm. And so dad, I just want to say, you know, thank you for breaking some of those generational curses Mm. that existed in our family for for so long, you know, and um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, my own brothers, you know, I can't say a lot, but, you know, they have they they have some of the same stuff and you can see it in their relationships with their sons. It, it's the same junk, you know, and um, I don't know. I'm just happy that David was able to kind of get the benefits maybe of some of that healing. I think that's a pretty cool thing. It's an awesome thing. And my older children are, too. Now, now mm-hmm. we relate. I relate. It's one of the great things about, I think, our family, and that is we relate very well to our children as adults, mm-hmm. um, all three of them. And that is, that's, oh, that to me is so huge because I know sometimes parents with adult children, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work, you know. That's a real gift. You know, you used a phrase several minutes ago when you were talking, I think your dad said it, that maybe this is a chance to break the curse, of mm. the father-son relationship through the generations. And mm-hmm. it's huge. I mean, like I, I started getting to know your son, how many years ago now? Five years ago. Five yeah. years ago. You're in your twenties. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So I just want to say that that breakthrough that you had with your father breaking that curse, I see the fruit of it because I work with him every day. You know, and I, I've worked with people in the past who I wouldn't say are emotionally whole. They still have a lot of healing to take place in their lives. And um, uh, David is not one of those people. So that moment that you had with your father has been bearing fruit in this guy's life. So I want to thank you too. I mean, it's obviously more important that you would thank him for that, but just as a um, sort of like a secondary beneficiary of that act and every, everybody within David's sphere now. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a great sphere of influence mm-hmm. and he, he, from that centered whole place can, can then help and bless and heal and touch people's lives, you know? So it's mm-hmm. huge when you do something like that. It's huge. The ripple mm-hmm. effects are enormous. So thank you for that courageous act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, dad, all of us are pastors and Nathan and I have a question for you as younger pastors. You raised pastor's kids, right? I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, Nathan and I are raising pastor's kid. Nathan has has two pastor's children. I'm about to have a, a child of my own, another pastor's kid. Uh, what advice do you have for us in raising pastor's kids specifically? Well, I don't know that, how do I say this? You guys are probably a lot healthier than I was at this point in your development and your lives. So it's probably a little different, but obviously for me and my generation, you know, I just put way, way, way too much energy into my job, into the church and not enough into family. I mean, that's definitely, you know, Sarah said, you know, there'd be nights when you, you were, you were home, but you weren't home. Mm. the table, but there'd be a blank stare on your face because you had issues, you know, and again, it, it goes back to kind of the person, you can't separate the pastor from the person. Yeah. My own issues, you know, kind of bled over in the sense of me just really giving a lot at work. And of course, one of the really hard things is I was getting you know, how do I say this? A lot of kudos on my job. Mm -hmm. We were in a church that was in kind of a, I would almost call it a revival. It was just growing and going crazy. And everybody, you know, I said to Sarah, when we finally left there, I mean, it was like I was next to the apostle Paul. (laughs) So everything at work was like on the way up to the right. So it was kind of natural for me. And yet things at home were harder. So I tended with my insecurities and issues to kind of give the church more energy than probably it should have had, you know, and, and honestly, selfishly, it's because it was feeding internal needs that I had. And I just think you have to be careful with that and make sure that, you know, your children, they still are top priority. I mean, raising a child is the most sacred responsibility we have as people. Um, you know, and it's odd because church is a church is weird because it's not just a job, it's a calling. So it's very easy to tell yourself, well, I'm doing this for God, God. Um, but the truth is, I think if we're really honest, we're probably doing it a lot for ourselves. Mm. 
some of us, you know, I'm speaking for myself, you know, it was for God. Yeah. But it was also what I was feeling. And, you know, like I said, the, the, all the positives I was getting from the church was feeding kind of my ego. In fact, I said, I said, you know, it's almost like we had to leave that church because I had just become so full of myself Mm. and I couldn't do anything wrong. Mm. Everything did, they loved, you know, and uh, of course now I've been in some other churches and I know not every church is like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back back to reality. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Which is, that's okay. That's for me personally, that's probably a good thing, Mm. you know, healthy thing for me spiritually. Wow. I, I feel so convicted uh, on a number of levels right now because yeah, you're, I mean, this is a conversation I have with my wife too. And, you know, yeah, I'm doing it for God, but also you get a lot of nice attention when you do that thing that you said you did for God and how that affect when you, man, a couple minutes ago, when you said um, your wife would say you were home, but you weren't really there. Yeah. I get that feedback sometimes from my wife. And I think it's partly because as you said, ministry is so personal, you know, like if, if something happens at work, so to speak, you're going to take it personally, both the good and the bad. And it's really hard to come home and not let that affect you. But I feel like that's the trick. And, And here's a phrase I've been meditating on recently. Both your son, David, and I have served and were mentored by a guy named Chuck Davis, who I know, you know, Pastor Chuck. And, um, here's my observation about Pastor Chuck he cared for people without caring what they think about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase. He cared deeply for people, but at the end of the day, he didn't care that much whether they liked him or didn't like him. And I, I it almost sounds harsh to say that like, Oh, he doesn't care what people think about, but you know what? It was really ho- important and healthy actually. And I I'm striving to get there. I want to care for people, but if they're mad at me for some decision I made or whatever, I have to be okay with that. I, that can't be my ego barometer is how much people like me. Kind of like you're saying, whether the whole church loves you or you're in another mm-hmm. church where they don't, that's actually not who you are, right? That's not going to define mm-hmm. who you are. And so I'm trying to learn that. I'm trying to care for people without caring as much what they think about me. And obviously I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be, <laughs> I want to be nice, but, but I can't be motivated by the praise of man, so mm-hmm. to speak. Have you thought about that too? Yeah, it's such a tough temptation as a pastor, um, the tension to people please, you know, and I tell myself I'm a people pleaser, but if I'm really honest, I'm a me pleaser. Mm. It's about me. Hmm. It's not really about them. Hmm. And that's what God has really been revealing to me lately in my conversations, even with my brother, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. It's not people pleasing, it's me pleasing. You know, and God really, I think, yeah. has to free you from that as a pastor and really as a man and as a father, too. You know, you know, it's uh, I think some of that is just uh, this need for control. For me, it was a need for control. I need to control what people think. And to do that, I need to be so good that they never question anything I do, you know, and that's just unrealistic. But the way I heard it said years ago is if you need people, you can't lead people. Right. It's codependency, right? To be able to lead them. And honestly, I hate to say it this way, but I'm in a 
you know, in this ministry I'm in right now, which is, it's, you know, I'm just here temporarily as an interim, but it has been so much easier for me to keep that balance here than it was when it was everything, you know, mm -hmm. when I was senior guy and everything was kind of on my plate, you know, I feel a much a more of a detachment here than I felt in my churches before. And frankly, I think arguably I'm probably more effective. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing because you're an interim, you know, you're not tempted in that way. I, I actually had this thought the other day, I was walking down the sidewalk and I thought we should all be interim pastors. Like that's the healthier, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe there's something well, to that. If you think about it, we all are. That's a good point. Very good point. I never really thought of it that way, but that's the truth. I mean, we're yeah. here as long as God has us. That's and right. then, you know, we move or whatever. God moves us, you know, but I didn't look at it that way when it was my church, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Easier to do it now. Yeah. Very good. Um, Dr. Borden, we, we want to wrap up here in a moment, but... Um, I'm wondering if through this conversation, if, if anything else is coming to your mind or your heart that you are feeling led to share, I don't want to mm -hmm. cut anything off. Mm -hmm. If there's anything that's, mm -hmm. you know, you want to bring to the surface before we wrap mm -hmm. up, what's on your mind? Well, I, I, I don't think there's a lot, but, you know, I did say some things about my father. Maybe they could be seen as not particularly, how shall I say, flattering, but I actually, my grandfather, I, I knew my grandfather and I knew a lot about where he came from. So it made it easier for me to let go of anything I held against him. And, um, you know, I can say with sincerity that I truly, truly love my father hmm. and I, and he's passed away now, but I really miss him. Hmm. Oh, he, he was very instrumental in my life, and uh, in many ways, I look like him. I probably sound like him, you know, but I, you know, I, I just, I feel very positively toward him at this point, you know, despite all the craziness and mm -hmm. addictions or whatever, I just do, you know, he was just a, a hurting guy of a czar, you know, so I feel very positively toward him, and like I said, to me, the, the coolest part of parenting is as your kids are grown, being able to relate to them as adults. Um, you know, my son is visiting with us from Oklahoma right now, you know, and, you know, we probably talked for two hours last night. And it was a very, very meaningful conversation, hmm. you know, and it's just, it's really cool. I'm enjoying my relationships with my kids. Hmm. Um, they, they, you know, I think they're some of my closest friends, I'll say, you know, which I think is really a neat thing. That's hmm. kind of something that I'm very proud of and glad has happened for us. So anyway, so that would be the only thing. That's awesome. That's actually a great note to end on because it, um, it's like a goal, you know, for all the dads listening to this and anybody else tuning in. I know there's moms listening too, but to have as like a, a goal, a life goal, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we want to have that kind of friendship with our adult kids someday. So thanks for concluding us with a real hopeful vision to strive towards. So really appreciate I you, man. Get, thanks. I, you know, I get a little bit concerned too, Nathan, and I'll just pitch this out there. Mm -hmm. With all of the drive towards success 
and achievement, quote unquote, whatever, equality, whatever you want to say. I just get a little concerned that parenthood has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. Hmm. It's like kids are just kind of, uh, it almost feels like they're a side show. But I think you can measure the health of a society by how seriously people take parenthood. Hmm. I mean, this is the most important thing yeah. we will ever do. Those are not just words. That's everything. And I get concerned not only is the generation now not having babies, and they're not. It just feels like we don't value parenthood the way maybe we should. And that, that really concerns me. You know, I just hope we can raise that up. I think what you guys are doing is awesome to kind of raise up the significance of fathers and moms and stuff like that is awesome. So, Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. I, I have a feeling I'm going to see you real soon when you have a new grandbaby born. That's right. Next we'll door to my there. house here in a Can't couple wait. weeks. We're excited. <laughs> All right. All God right, bless guys. you. See you. Have a great day. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Dad. All right. All right. God bless. Thank you for listening to Mistakes Dads Make. Please take a moment and rate this podcast wherever you found it and share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.